This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and I'm glad you're back with us again this week. And I think we got a real good one for you today. We're going to discuss, um, well, something I talked about in the last episode, which is one of the things you can do in the wintertime on your homestead, and that is plan out your uh, spring garden. So I thought we'd just take an episode here and talk about what that really means, what that looks like, what kind of things you want to think about. Um, what you want to do, and right down to, to even sketching out your, your garden. So that's what this episode is going to be about. So let's just jump right into it. Um, there's a lot to consider uh, when you lay out a plan for your, your spring garden. And um, one of the things, one of the most, of course, the most important thing is deciding what you're going to plant in your garden. So how do you make a decision on what it is you're going to plant? Well, first of all, you want to plant what you like to eat, right? I mean, you're for sure going to want to take a mental inventory of the things you regularly eat. These are the vegetables you're going to want to plant the most of. And you know, listen, if you don't like eggplant, don't plant eggplant, right? Uh, it's it's real easy for us just to get um, over-experimental sometimes and try to plant too many things or just an abundance of things. And it's okay to, I think it's okay. I like to plant some things that maybe I've never tried before or, or you know, just plant a few th- of a little bit of everything here and there, but... You definitely want to have an abundance of those things you really like to eat. So you definitely want to plan that into your garden. You're also going to want to plant what grows well in your zone. Not everything goes grows good in every zone. So consider growing things that grow best in your area for the best possible harvest. You want to grow what's going to benefit your homestead. You may, you know, consider growing things that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily food for you. But maybe they're food for your livestock or perhaps fertilizer. Maybe you, you know, I think about comfrey when I, when I grow comfrey. So I grow a lot of comfrey around here. Maybe you want to grow a lot of herbs uh, for medicinal uses. It doesn't necessarily have to be food, but you want to, you want to think about what kind of things can I plant that are going to benefit my homestead as a whole. I say take some time to look through seed catalogs for ideas. And that's one of my favorite things to do in the wintertime for sure is I like to just go through the seed catalogs and, and, and definitely pick out the things that I've enjoyed in the past and always want to get those. But try a few new things here and there. Just try to get some ideas. You, know, you want to keep gardening interesting and fun. So, yeah, definitely don't be afraid to try something new. But don't let it consume your garden. Uh, always plant the trustworthy, common things that you like to eat that are going to benefit your homestead and that are going to grow well so you'll have the best possible harvest 
And another thing you have to consider when you're planning out your spring garden is how much you're going to plant. Deciding how much of each vegetable to grow is something that is going to be one of the more important decisions you make. You have to make a decision on, do you only want to grow enough to eat fresh vegetables when they're in season? Or do you want enough to preserve for the entire year? Um, You have to consider how many people you're going to be feeding in your household. And you also got to consider if you're going to be giving some away or selling some of it. Are you going to be succession planting for a larger yearly yield? Or are you just going to plant once and and then harvest? Um, These are all important factors when you're planting your garden. You have to think ahead on these things. I ran across a really great article from wellfedhomestead.com. It's uh, it's called How Much Should You Plant in Your Garden to Provide a Year's Worth of Food? And they actually had a breakdown per vegetable, uh, how much you needed per person for a year's supply of that vegetable and i'll have a link to that in the show notes and i I really suggest you go check that out i thought it was really good and uh, yeah it's worth it's worth looking at especially when you go to plant out your garden all the links today that i'm going to talk about can be found at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 49 you're also going to want to consider where you're going to plant your garden now you may think this is already thought out you've already got this all planned out Uh, you already got to have a garden laid out we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute um, you have to consider sunlight and shade requirements. You got to consider the sun um, for your garden beds as a whole, as well as each individual plant. For example, in your garden beds, you're going to want to keep your taller plants to the north of the shorter plants if they are if they're going to be planted next to each other, um, so you don't shade them out. Unless we'll talk about this a little bit later. Unless your purpose is to provide a little bit of shade for uh, less uh, tolerant, sun tolerant uh, vegetables. So that's something to consider. Um, rotational planting is something you might want to consider for disease control. I rotate my beds, and I've heard both ways. I've heard some people say you don't need to do that. I do. Um, I've battled blight in the past uh, with my tomatoes, so I, I rotate my beds. I, I, you know, I try to move them around so if there's any kind of blight issues, it doesn't uh, continue to carry on. So I rotate my raised garden beds for sure. Um, there's some things that I never move, um, but in my raised beds, I always do kind of rotate around and plant different things in those beds at different time, at different years, so I don't get a recurrence of the of the disease. I would suggest when you're planning out your garden and deciding where to plant things, that you use unconventional places for growing food. You know, you don't have to grow your entire garden in just a conventional garden bed. You should consider every possible space along fences, around trees, um, bushes, along paths and walkways. Um, There's really no limit to the creativity you can have when laying out a plan for the location of your garden. So get creative with that. It's amazing how much more food you can grow. I have planted uh, a whole nother garden along uh, my house, along the one, south side of my house. Um, I have walkways around through the back side of my property. And all along those walkways, um, I've put in uh, some uh, garden beds. And around trees, I usually plant, uh, which we'll talk about this in a little bit, in, in companion planting. But I've planted like, uh, I usually plant uh, beans um, around my um, bush beans, around uh, my trees, uh, the ones that are more out in the sun. Uh, It provides a great ground cover, like a living mulch, and it provides nitrogen for the trees, and it uh, gives me a lot more food. So you want to consider things like that. I I put 
I plant things everywhere, every little nook and cranny I can find. I, I make a spot there, and, and I might even put out pots, and, and uh, you know, I have some vertical gardens growing here and there. And you want to consider all those unconventional places for growing food because you can really, really multiply the amount of food that you can grow on your property, especially if you're in an urban homestead or just a small space. It's really easy to, to find places to grow things just with a little bit of planning. You're also going to want to pay really special attention when it comes to planting perennials. Annuals are easy to make a mistake on. Uh, you know, Next year, you just fix it. You plant them somewhere else. But when you're going to plant your perennials, they're a different story. you got to put a little more thought into the location of these plants. You know, Things like asparagus and Jerusalem artichoke, these plants are going to be there for many years. And in many cases, they're even going to spread, so you want to be extra careful about where you plant them. So pay really a special attention to your perennial vegetables when it comes to planting out the location of your garden. When are you going to plant your garden? This is another thing you have to consider in your plans. Most gardeners I know, <laughs> even me, especially me, are anxious to get that vegetable garden going in the spring. But you have to be careful not to put things in the ground too early. Your seeds can be started indoors. However, you need to time the transplant into the garden at just the right time. The time that all this needs to take place, it's going to differ according to the zone you live in. So what you want to do is find a vegetable uh, hardiness zone schedule. And I have a link to one of those in the show notes. It's a vegetable planting schedule and hardiness zone lookup. It's located at gardentowerproject.com. It's a really good chart. I suggest you go there and check that out. And, uh, and it'll help you to time out uh, if you're going to direct sow your garden, which means putting the seeds right into the ground, or if you're going to be transplanting and when to plant those seeds at the right time, have your seedlings at the right stage to transplant in the garden. So a chart like that will really, really help you plan out when to plant your garden. I want to talk a little bit about companion planting in your garden. I'm a big believer in companion planting. Um, this practice, it can really up your garden game, and it can make your gardening more pleasurable. Um, it can ensure a better harvest. You'll have less insect uh, problems. You're going to have less uh, soil deficiency issues if it's done correctly. Uh, companion planting does take a little forethought because <laughs> um, you're going to need to think through the reasons you're planting things together to get the most out of your garden. Um, so let's talk about some of the reasons for companion planting. First of all, a plant might supply a need for another plant. It might supply something like nutrients for that plant. Some plants will supply a need back to the soil, such as beans and legumes. They put nitrogen into the soil, which can benefit the plants around them. Others work as a dynamic accumulator, pulling up nutrients from the soil and to the top for other plants, you know, like I mentioned earlier, comfrey is is, a, is one such plant. Um, I take the leaves of comfrey and it grows so fast that I can completely chop my comfrey plants down three times a year without hurting the plant. And they'll just pop right back up within just a few weeks. So I take, I pull a lot of leaves and I, I pack those leaves around other things. And it's a dynamic accumulator. It has a real deep taproot, which pulls those nutrients up into the leaves. And you can take those leaves and lay them around other things for, for a fertilizer. And it works really well. It really supplies a lot of nutrients to your plants. So I like, you know, things like beans and legumes and, and comfrey. Uh, dandelion does the same thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dynamic accumulators, um, plants out there that work like that, that have the deep taproot. 
that work really well for that kind of thing um, and, and others that put uh, nutrients back into the soil. You may consider uh, companion planting because of the soil amendments that another plant will supply. Many plants can lower or raise the pH of soil by the organic matter they drop, which can greatly benefit certain plants. Some, some just make a great mulch. Some will just unload a lot of leaves or have a lot of organic output where um, they'll, they'll lay down. It'll just cover the ground real well, and it'll provide a great mulch, which will help with moisture retention and biological activity. Um, some plants will serve as a great trellis for other plants to climb, um, such as corn. It can be planted with, with pole beans, which in return will provide the nitrogen for the corn. So, you know, using, using plants in that way, it's applying a need for another plant. Some plants provide ground cover. Low-growing or large-leaf vining plants can create a great living mulch, which can be a great benefit to the plants around them. Planting squash is, is one such vining ground cover plant. Actually, planting squash with the corn and pole beans that I mentioned earlier is commonly known as the Three Sisters Garden. And these three vegetables work really well together. Uh, all three are, are, are giving something for the other one. Again, the corn providing the trellis for the beans, the beans providing the nitrogen for the corn, and the, uh, the squash providing the ground cover, which helps with moisture retention for those plants. So all of it working together. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute ago. It's actually referred to as a guild in permaculture. Uh, we'll talk. I'll talk a little bit more about guilds here in a minute. But those are just that's just one example of a, of a small guild that you can use in your garden that works really well together. Also, some plants provide shade. I mentioned earlier, some plants are less hardy and, and heat tolerant, and they might need more shade. And when summer comes around and direct sunlight, it's a is a bit much for some plants like leafy greens. Then using tall plants and trellises provide shade for these plants can work really well together um, i've seen for an example now i've never tried this one but i've seen where some people take like a fence and kind of angle it up over uh, and then walk cucumbers up those uh let cucumbers vine up that that fence piece of fence and then they'll underneath that fence they'll plant lettuce and when the summer's really hot you know that those cucumbers and now the, the, of course the cucumbers would be the, the fence would be to the south of the uh the lettuce, which would provide shade for that lettuce and um, help it to grow and stay a little cooler and not wither so quickly. So again, you have you have all these companion plants helping other plants. Also a reason you might companion plant is for pest control. Now I think this is a really powerful reason, important reason to, to companion plant. Controlling pests isn't just about keeping them away. It can also be about attracting the right pests. There are some, however, you want to deter, and many plants, especially certain herbs and flowers, um, can accomplish that. They can keep away a lot of insects. But using plants to bring in the right insects can be a big benefit to your garden as, as, as many good insects eat the destructive insects. Uh, which can destroy your garden really fast. The, the right plants can also draw in great pollinators, uh, which can greatly increase uh, the harvest of your garden. So you want to pay special attention to that. Again, flowers do a lot for that. Um, a marigold is, is a great uh, plant to keep around. Um, sunflowers, of course, are great. So again, you have some great plants that do a lot to help with insect control and a lot to help with uh, pollination. Um, you might companion plant 
to have better flavors. Now, there are many claims that planting certain plants in close proximity to one another makes them taste better. Um, an example of this I've heard is planting basil with tomatoes. It isn't an exact science, though. Uh, you, it might take some experimenting on your end, but there are several suggested plants that a lot of people swear by makes a better flavor in their vegetables. So you want to dig into that a little bit and learn more about that for sure. I think one of the greatest benefits to companion planting, especially in my small homestead here, is for utilizing spaces. You can really increase the amount of food you can grow by interplanting. Interplanting is an intensive gardening method that allows you to fit more vegetable plants in a single planting bed. This is going to make the most of your garden. It's going to allow you to fill up the spaces between larger plants. You're going to make use of the borders around your garden beds. Again, you're going to be able to uh, combine plants with other plants or trees or bushes around your property. Again, it's it's part of what building guilds is, uh, like the Three Sisters Garden I mentioned earlier is an example of. That's a small scale, though, but you can also build guilds around trees and bushes. Matter of fact, it's more commonly done in that way. So let's talk a little bit about that. What is a guild? I've mentioned it a couple times now. It's a, it's a, it's a permaculture term. I, I've never really heard it talked about outside of permaculture, but plant guilds are a combination of form and function. The goal is to mimic the stacking and relationships found in nature while also providing useful resources to people. Um, what you're doing is you're drawing from the idea of a food forest. And, and we can generally identify at least seven layers that occur in an ecosystem. You have the overstory. This would be your really tall trees. You have an understory. This might be your shorter trees. And it doesn't have to be trees. I mean, it's the tallest. Uh, it starts really with the tallest thing around. Um, like we're talking earlier about the corn. The corn in that case would have been the overstory because it's the tallest thing in that, in that little ecosystem. But when we're talking about trees, we're going to talk about the tallest trees. Then you're going to have those smaller trees that are going to kind of bushier trees that grow underneath the, the bigger trees. And then you got your shrubs. Then you got your herbaceous layer. Then you have your ground cover. You have your vining and your roots. These are your, your seven layers that occur in an ecosystem that we're pretty aware of. And you, you want to consider each or at least a few of these layers in every possible location on your homestead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create a whole bunch of microclimates that are going to work really well together to provide you with an abundance of food. So I think companion planting is, is just going to knock it out of the park for your garden plans. In today's show notes, if you go to smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 49, I've put together a, a chart. It's a PDF download. of It's a companion planting chart. And I think I've got a little over 40 vegetables listed there. And I have listed out some of the things that are great companions to those plants. And also have things listed out that you shouldn't plant with some of those plants. So I kind of just done some research, put this little spreadsheet together, saved it as a PDF. And you can download that for free. You don't have to put in an email or anything like that. Just go to the show notes, click on the download PDF here button that's in the down about most of the way down in the show notes. And just download it. And it's a great resource. Just save it to your computer. It's a great resource to have when it comes time to plan out your garden. So take a look at that. It's got some great things in there. It's not just vegetables. There's some flowers in there. There's um, trees. There's it's got uh, The vegetables are listed, but there's other things that go well with those vegetables. So uh, check out all that. Um, 
uh, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a really good list that I, I kind of compiled uh, for y'all to check out. Okay, I don't want to leave it all at just the things you want to consider when you plan out your garden. I also want to talk about the very act of sketching out the plan. There's nothing like taking some good old-fashioned pencil and paper. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. Simply laying out a pattern for your homestead on some paper and writing in where you're going to be planting certain things. It's just a great it's a great start to your garden plan. I like to just draw a you know, a square of my property and put where the house is, put where the garage is, put where my garden bed is. And I make this 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 kind of macro uh, diagram of my property and then I have garden bed, garden bed, you know, and then I might have trellis here, trellis here, tree here. I'll shrub in the, or I'll kind of circle in where the trees and the shrubs are and where I'm going to put some stuff around that. Now then I will take other paper, usually graph paper, if you want to be a little more precise, you can use graph paper and you can actually build your garden beds to scale. Well, I'll take the next piece of paper, which usually graph paper, square off my garden bed in that, or shape out my garden bed to scale. And then I'll actually break that garden bed down into the actual plants I'm going to plant in that garden bed. And I will do this for each one of the garden beds or growing areas on my property. And I might end up with you know, 15 sheets of paper when it's all said and done at different locations. I have the overall overview of the property and then I have an individual breakdown of each garden bed. Now that might change a little bit when it comes time to growing. I might adjust that, change it up a little bit, but it gives me a really good starting point. And so I would suggest doing something like that. I think it's a really good idea. You can get a little more in depth with that if you want. You can use software to lay out your garden. It's really a pretty simple thing to do. If you'd rather use a computer to lay out your, your garden plan, there's a lot of good software programs out there that'll do that. A good free online planner that I found um, is at uh, gardeners.com. And I'll put a, uh, it's kind of a long uh, web address. I will put the link to that in the show notes. Just click on that. And it's a really good, easy to use garden planner and actually had an entire property layout planner and an individual garden bed planner in that uh, online software there so check that out if that's something that appeals to you and i think you could print it out save it and print it out as well so that would be a good way to go i'm old school i like to grab pencil and paper just do things that way but hey i can absolutely uh, see where that would be real beneficial and 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 more accurate in many ways but uh yeah, give those a try. I think it would be a great way to get that plan laid out and, and really pinpoint where you're going to put each thing and what you're going to companion plant with each plant and every tree and how you're going to build your guilds around that. I mean, really work on that. Lay that out this winter, and you'll have a great plan for the spring. I would also suggest, if you don't already, keeping a garden journal. I think keeping a record of your garden is going to help you uh, better plan next year's garden and the next year's garden and every year after that. Um, you want to record things like when you pl- uh, when you planted certain plants. Um, you want to record things like uh, what vegetables did well and ones that didn't, ones that tasted the best and the ones that you really didn't like. You're going to want to record your successes and your failures. All these are going to serve as a, a really good reminder year after year. And each year, because of that, your garden is going to get better. It's going to get better and better and better. And I think you'll really enjoy looking back through those notes 
and um, seeing what you did the previous year and figure out what worked best. And, and honestly, it'll help you really narrow down exactly what you want in your garden. You're going to end up with only the best stuff, the stuff that you love the taste of the most, the stuff that you're going to make the best use out of. And that's your ultimately your goal, especially, again, if you're limited on space like I am. So that it's a, it'll really go a long way uh, to help you do that. Now, with all that being said and done, this is the plan. You're going you're gonna to learn all kinds of things doing this. Again, uh, as a recap, you're going to learn what you're going to plant. You're going to learn how much you need to plant. Uh, you're going to see where you need to plant your gardens. You're going to know when to plant your garden. You're going to figure out every little companion plant you want to combine with what and the reason that you're doing it. But again, all this is just a plan. It's all just a plan unless you become a doer of the plan, right? When spring comes around, you got to carry out your plans. You got to execute that plan when the time comes. And and you know, I both are important. You want to make the plan and you want to carry out the plan. And uh, I like what Benjamin Franklin said one time, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. And the plan is is so important. Preparing is so important, but doing it is ultimately the most important thing. Get out there and, and execute that plan and make it happen. So there you have it, folks. Um, planning your garden. Hopefully this is something that's been helpful for you. Uh, I know it's something I enjoy doing every year. I love to just sit down with the seed catalogs and then just get out my graph paper and start laying out my garden and start really thinking about how I'm going to do this and how much more I'm going to be able to grow each year. So I hope you'll I hope you'll do the same thing. I hope you'll take some time this this winter and uh, really plan out that garden, get that spring garden uh, all planned out and ready to go, and you'll have the best harvest you've ever had. And it'll be because you took the time to prepare and really make a good plan. So again, the show notes for this episode are going to be found at, and there's a lot there to check out. So make sure you go to smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 49. And check out all those links. Great stuff there. And uh, also, join us in the Homestead Front Porch. We'd love to have you in there if you're not in there already. We have, well, that, that group's really growing. That's our Facebook group, and it's over 2,200 people in there now. It's really growing, uh, and a lot of interaction in there, a lot of community building going on. And I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I have to admit, I haven't been in there as much lately because, well, as you know, this podcast is coming out a couple days late. Uh, because I've been really busy. My job has been just working me to death. Next week, I'm going to be off for a week, and it seems like any time we're getting ready to have our little vacation times, um, the, the whole place shuts down for a week, and the two or three weeks before that are always just so busy, and I'm working weekends and everything right now, so it's got me a little bit behind on things. But, uh, hey, next week when I'm off work, I'm hoping to get a lot accomplished and caught back up and back on track. I hope to get involved more in the in the, the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group. You can search on Facebook or there'll be a link in the show notes. They'll take you there. And it is a closed group, but all you have to do to join is ask. This is also the last episode uh, before Christmas this year. So I just want to take a minute and just wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And uh, hey, if you get any cool uh, homestead-related items, uh, jump in the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group there and share a picture of it with us or uh, tell us about it. And uh, we'd love to see what you got. Hey, I'm not all about the commercialization of Christmas, but I'll tell you what, when you get a cool homestead item, you got to share it. You got to tell people about it, right? (laughs) So you all have a Merry Christmas and uh, happy homesteading and God bless. We'll talk to you next week. 
Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.